Welcome to the Fabrice Garrier Show, a podcast about the future, where I bring you unique ideas and perspectives that can help us understand how can we shape a better world, especially in the next 20, 30 years when our world is going to be radically different. There's so many intersecting forms of change that are happening right now. And my guest today, he's an old friend. We actually grew up together in Haiti. We actually went to the same school in College Canada Haitien. And it was so great. You can only imagine. It's, it literally was so great to connect with him and really peer into his mind to, to see his vision of how do we make the world a better place? What are the current trends of the future that he sees? And, and also our country, Haiti, our beloved country, Haiti, like what can we do to jumpstart and evolve and, and rekindle a form of systemic change in the world? Dr. Stephen Bonhomme is a client success manager at Microsoft, and he's also an adjunct professor of business at Northwest University. He brings a lot to the table. I really like his perspective, and this conversation was really, really great. I think you're going to get a lot of this. Um, I appreciate you tuning in again. If you love what you hear, if you like what you hear, please go on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review, and share with friends and colleagues and professionals. Again, thank you again, and we'll dive right in into this conversation. All right, everyone, I'm excited to have an old friend and, and from my past in Haiti. It's so excited to have this guest Stephen Bonhomme. I seriously, I appreciate you being here. I want to hear from you and your visions of the future. Let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your journey and, and also how you discovered your passion. Uh, hey, Fabrice. Hey, everybody who's listening right now. It's a, really a pleasure for me to be here today to talk a little bit about my journey to catch up a little bit with my old friends from back in the days and also really uh, the things that we can achieve together pretty much work in a way that we can empower people's lives and making sure that uh, with the talent that we have we can um, help other people discover their passion well pretty much i'm originally from haiti uh, i grew up there i went to high school there and i even started university a little bit there before i traveled to the u.s where i lived uh, primarily in, in Florida with my with my mom. And uh, after that, I left Florida and I lived in uh, pr pretty much five states over the last five years wow. where I was uh, pretty much going to school or working. Um, I, I went from Florida to Alabama to Michigan to North Dakota, and now I'm currently in Washington state. <laughs> so it's pretty much been uh, a journey because I was in the, the, on that quest of discovering my passion and the, the things that I'm good at and where I can uh, put myself in a way that I can find the best opportunities. So um, in terms of educational background, I have an associate's degree in um, business economics. I have a bachelor's degree in economics, a master's degree in applied economics, and a doctorate of business administration. And I'm currently working at Microsoft as a client success manager in the marketing department. And also I'm a university professor and I do other things on the side as well. That's amazing. What would you, that is absolutely amazing. Like, what would you say is your passion if you were to 
um, to define it? And I know you spoke a little bit about it, but like, what what would that be, and and how how does that tie to the future? Would you say? I mean, I think growing up in Haiti, uh, growing up in a country with a poor economic background, where I've seen a lot of people struggle, and myself as well going through the same struggle, I think my passion was always to be able to help people, but is discovering how exactly I'm going to be able to help people. And the way that I, I, I found was pretty much to study business. That's why, uh, based on my educational background, you can see that I went from economics to business and all those things, because I always believed that um, if I could understand the principles of economics, I can go back to Haiti one day and probably help my country in a way of helping people uh, uh, be sustainable, uh, build businesses, and also being able to take care of the family because I strongly believe in social welfare. And if you empower one person uh, to do good for themselves, they will be able to uplift society as a whole. So pretty much the story of uh, don't only give somebody a fish, but also teach somebody how to fish and they will ultimately feed their family and society. Absolutely. I, I think I, I definitely ascribe to that as well is I think change happens in the mind and it happens in our thinking and in our ability to understand the capacities and the gifts that we have in order to work with other people so we can create a better world. Um, I, and oftentimes I feel like there's so many challenges, especially for our country and in Haiti and in her story and in her revival that we're seeing right now. Like I would be interested to hear about your theories or your visions of, of like, how do we even get like, how do we even start? Because I feel like for me, I, I get like, I, or everyone knows this is like, every time we feel like Haiti's gonna get brought back up, something just kind of punches her in the gut uh, and she falls back down. Um, whether it's, it's climactic challenges that we're seeing happening globally and impacting a small island state like Haiti, or if it's political turmoil, like how like how do we even begin to like uplift people um that because like okay this is this is a personal story i i remember i went back to haiti in 2016 it was the first time since i had left in 2004 and i was talking to an older man and i was working with the pen haiti center in the mountains in Thomasin. he pulled out just not gonna tell the entire story but he pulled out a pen and he said you see this pen this pen has been increasingly becoming has increasingly become more expensive over the last 40 years of his life. And I asked him, like, is this pen ever going to go back down in terms of the price and the economics? And he pretty much said no, that there is a just sub substantial increase in the, I guess, in the inflation or the prices of the products that's kind of creates more, I think, stressors in the economy and in, in people's lives. I'd love to hear your thoughts or your, your ideas around that. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, um, Haiti is a, a country with a poor economic background, but not because we lack resources. I think it's pretty much a mismanagement of resources, capacity to, uh, to rise and pretty much feed our citizens. We just have to find that right management and also the people um, having the will and also having the skills that uh, we need to uh, to do that. Because I, I strongly believe that we have a lot of Haitians with potentials because 
uh, they've traveled, they've studied abroad, they've seen how things are done in, 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 in rich countries and all those things. It's just pretty much creating that platform to allow them to use their expertise and help the country um, get back on its feet. How was it for you when you like first moved to the US? Like, what was your perception of the US? What were the, the mishaps that you experienced, if you don't mind sharing that story? Yeah, I mean, moving to the US was, was a great opportunity because I was able to achieve a lot of things that I think if I were still back home, it, it would have been uh, very difficult or probably impossible because of the situation. So um, it was definitely a big culture shock because when I moved here, I did not speak the language whatsoever. So I had to learn the language also while I was studying for the field of economics or business. So that was working twice and pretty much as hard so I can get to the level that I wanted to. But navigating the system was also something that I, I was not afraid of because I knew that I had to put myself in, in a position to find the right opportunity. So that's why um, you can notice that I moved um, several states in, in, in just a few years because I always, uh, told myself, regardless of where I have to go, I'm going to go there because I need to be able to, um, you know, look at the horizons and just go there and make sure that if that's where my opportunities are and make sure that um, I can go ahead and, and get it. So um, I was uh, fortunate enough to receive scholarships um, while I was moving states for undergrad and also for grad school. So I think that sort of helped me in, in the quest of achieving my um, educational goals, because I think um, education um, in the U.S. is pretty expensive. And sometimes without scholarship, uh, you could be uh, sometimes in a, in a, in a tough uh, situation to uh, attend school or even finish school. So I'm pretty grateful for that. And after that, just, you know, integrating myself in the culture, uh, learning how things are done here. Uh, not being afraid to speak up and let people know what I'm capable of and also making sure that, uh, you know, I raise my hands if there is something to do and just so I can show my true potential and also find the right opportunities. Mm. I feel like sometimes when you like when when you're an immigrant, I, I, I personally, I guess my personal experience, I feel we tend to operate in a very scarcity based model. Think of thinking of like sort of like there is scarce resources. And, and that's sort of the, the mindset. And as opposed to kind of shifting in what you just described, this growth mindset, like what, what was that process for you? Sort of shifting your perspective in terms of like, you're a human being, you have skill sets, you have levels of belief systems, you have potential, and you have to sort of like embrace new things and new realities in order to actualize yourself. Like, what was that? When did was there a specific point in your life that 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 process sort of happened or or strengthened, or was this something that you always had in in you? I think um, it's pretty much growing up in Haiti. It was always in me because we grew up in a culture where we were pushed to achieve greatness, to always give our best because education was pretty much the only way out. So, you know, even back in high school, um, we attended the same school. So, you know how tough it was because we Definitely. were always pushed to be very, very good at everything. So I think moving to the US and also bringing that background with me uh, helped me succeed in school in the US and also uh, do very well in school, which ultimately resulted in me finding scholarships um, all over the place. So I think that growth mindset was always in me, but probably I didn't recognize it like that. But moving to the U.S. definitely opened my eyes and recognizing, oh, okay, that was a growth mindset that I was exhibiting there. 
not really like that. I think that's so true. I think I think there is definitely a standard of excellence that growing up in Haiti that my family and my parents definitely instilled in me. Sort of education is the way to actualize oneself, and you got to get. It's like if I get an an A minus, that's not yeah. enough. <laughs> that's like yeah. that's a horrible grade because I could have got an A plus. Exactly. Um, um, that's very interesting. Like I would love to shift. Um, I guess the conversation a little bit to talk about the future. Like I think it's this open ended question, but I would love to hear because you're working at Microsoft right now, so you're clearly mm-hmm. sort of looking and you're in the technology field, you have interest in that process. So I would love to hear like, what are some of the most important ideas that you feel that as a human species that we should be take, t- paying attention? Because I feel your, your, your perspective is so unique, especially coming from Haiti and us being from Haiti, I feel like that is a unique perspective in, in the terms of what we've seen, where we've come from, what we've experienced and where we wanna go. Like I would love to just hear your, your like what are those ideas that you think are the most important that we should be paying attention to or that are gonna shape the next 20, 30 years of our lives? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, I think the coronavirus pretty much opened our eyes and also uh, forced businesses or companies to look into new ways of doing business because uh, the old ways were pretty much were uh, people had to be in the same place to do business most of the time, but with the coronavirus and everybody working from home, uh, working online and things like that, it's a different perspective right now. Because I, I know if, if we start even with education, right, where um, there was that clear distinction between uh, before coronavirus, there was that clear distinction between uh, going to campus and uh, attending school online. So I, I feel like there was a type of discrimination against online schooling because people used to think, well, we will not have the full experience. Or if you had a degree online, uh, that doesn't really count. Or does that really count because you didn't really see a professors and things like that? And yeah. that was pretty much looked down upon. But now with the coronavirus situation where everything is being done online, so that's becoming the new norm, you know? So people are more, um, people are, are accepting more the fact that we actually can connect online and we can do a lot of things online. So when it comes to businesses or companies, I think now they are reimagining how to do businesses and also shifting their focus onto being really customer obsessed because now the the coronavirus pretty much gave uh, companies uh, a chance to really look into their core values to see are they really needed in the world? Are they doing something to empower people? Are they really shaping the future of the world? Because uh, once the coronavirus is a little bit more under control, a lot of companies will be in trouble. And now if they're not adapting to the new situation, they're going to be left behind. So I think the future is looking pretty much <laughs> pretty bright, I would say, but also scary because that that, that requires people to have new skills, people uh, that were probably not really tech savvy or were not really interested in being online and staying connected. These people are, are being forced to pretty much learn uh, these new skills because uh, that's how the world is shifting to. So pretty much everything's going to be um, automated and transformed. So I think uh, it's a it's a good wave that we have to ride right now and making sure that we're not left behind. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I, I was reading a statistic that said that colleges, like a majority of colleges and universities, like 20% of the colleges and universities today are not going to exist in 30 years. 
because it's like the industry is changing so much where you have Udemy, you have um, all these alternative sort of ways of, of educating oneself and, and skilling oneself is, is challenging the traditional way. And I'm sure that the digital era of COVID is like, is like the final push that's gonna push people there. That's pretty interesting. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder like, what have you seen that, like what are, what are trends have you seen that, that is impacting this shift um, in terms of like people's resistance to this change? Do you feel like, so you, what, because what are the good and bad things that you're seeing out of this? Uh, the good things that I'm seeing is the world is becoming more connected because now uh, with uh, working online or studying online now, there is more innovation about providing internet access to more people around the world so we can stay connected. So that's, that's a good thing. So those areas where um, internet connection was not accessible to, to people now, that there's been a lot of work to make sure that people are having access to internet and things like that. That's, that, that's a good thing. Uh, second thing is also giving the flexibility to people now to do more than just, you know, working um, eight hours, nine hours, 12 hours in an office. Now they can, uh, uh, now they can manage having a family and also working from home. Although that could be a little bit difficult because, um, you know, sometimes you can, it can be hard to make the distinction between, you know, you're working from home right now and you still have to take care of your family because you, you're still at home, you know? But I think it's giving the flexibility to people right now to raise their kids and they're saving a lot of money on on things that they, they had to pay for if they had to go to the office, for example, daycare and things like that. That's where parents can save money uh, there as well. But uh, it's, it's scary because also when you think about um, automation, so you can already forecast that there might be a lot of job loss in the future because things are being automated and being done online. So uh, we need uh, pretty much to adapt and learn these new skills again so we can stay up to date. What what are these new skills? Like, oh, like, okay, like, like for example, this is, this is an interesting, this is two, a two-part question because like I, on the streets of DC, like when, when I used, I, I, like I don't carry cash anymore. And, and there is a big homelessness problem in Washington, D.C. And, and there are a few times the homeless folks, like they approach me and ask me for, for money, but I don't have cash anymore. And that sort mm -hmm. of like got me thinking is like, as we move more of a digital world, like how is, how are people, like, I feel like there's going to be a whole skew of, of people of the population that are going to be left behind in, in this digital frame. Like what are the, like, how do you even define these skills? Like, what are these skills? Like, what does that even look like? I mean, I think that's something that's being transformed um, every day. And we definitely need to learn on the go because, um, you know, 50 years ago, we used to do things differently today. And we did not learn everything overnight. So we learn as we progress through time and through society. I think it's going to be the same thing uh, with uh, the, the the economy or the world post coronavirus. So we have to uh, we have to learn uh, whatever the skills that will be required in the market because the market is going to shift and also is going to dictate the new skills that are needed to survive. You know, uh, uh, but I I, I pretty, I'm pretty sure that's going to be revolving around um, online access, internet access, and technology. Interesting. So like so your your theories are sort of 
the more online access that people have, the more uh, access to the internet, and the more connected people are to these things, that's gonna help sort help people sort of adapt and stay ahead of these changes. Yeah, definitely. Pretty much an optimization uh, uh, process where things are being done faster than they were uh, pre-coronavirus. And also because of automation, things are moving in a direction where um, it's needed to pretty much, uh, you know, connect more. But also some people might, might, look, might look at it as how are you going to get connected if you're only online? Because the traditional way of connecting with people used to be we meet face to face and uh, we talk, we hang out and things like that. But I think there is another form of um, uh, of staying connected online as well that is becoming very, um, very important, but also that is gaining and uh, and and that, that that is becoming more and more accepted because of the new norm that the, the market is uh, is dictating right now. Some people, some people believe that we like the, the misery of mankind is going to rise astronomically because of this, um, because there's going to be so many people left behind. Like I'm, I'm wondering. This is sort of I'm wondering because I had an interview with uh, a fellow entrepreneur, Sidik Nafar, and I'm hopefully releasing the episode, the podcast episode uh, this week. But I asked him a question: Is can it was talk, talking in the context of Africa and the African continent. And I was saying like, do African countries, can they go through the industrial like path that Western countries had gone through in order to be quote unquote modern? And, and I, I can challenge that, that term, but he had sort of said that African nations cannot afford to go through the industrial path this sort of manufacturing, this sort of, this, this sort of like very industrial way of like building a nation up. And because of the, the context of the environment, the context of, of every unintended consequences our current economic model is providing. So I would throw that question back at you. Like, do you feel in this, as we're moving closer to this digital realm, this forever interconnected way, when you're saying that things are going to be optimized, like what does that look like for Haiti? Like, does, does can what role does technology have, or this sort of digital world have in playing or in shaping and enabling um, the nation of Haiti or or similar nations that are facing economic disparities um, from mismanagement, political mismanagement, or or environmental challenges? Like, what are your beliefs in terms of how do we how do we infuse people into this change in a way that allows them to thrive? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a very good question because um, as I was listening to you, and you know, back back in the days with the industrial um, transformation for the Western countries, it didn't happen overnight, and uh, they did not just do it because. Uh, they thought um, they 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 would be able to do it just right away. It was um, it, it was a pretty much a, a, a one step at a time situation. So I think the same thing can happen um, for Haiti or for uh, developing countries in Africa because uh, 
it's not something that's going to happen um, overnight. It's going to be something that will be happening over the next 30 to 50 years. And I do think that um, those countries, they do have the human resources available for that. But in terms of the capital, that's where they might probably struggle a little bit because of their uh, pre-existing economic situation. But as we see now, there's there's been more investment um, in these countries, and these countries are more open to businesses, um, attracting uh, you know international businesses, and also uh, making sure that they create more jobs um, in these countries. So I, I do think they they will be able to do that eventually, but right away it might be restricted because because of, of funding or because of economic situation. But the fact that a lot of these countries have sent their citizens abroad to study and they have high skilled citizens when they go back to their countries, either studying medicine or agriculture or their lawyers or economists, anything. So they are, they are getting ready to do that. Because if I take an example, after World War II, Japan, uh, you know, was really destroyed after 1945. Mm -hmm. But they, one of the political um, decisions they made was to pretty much send their citizens abroad to acquire skills and come back and work for the country and use the skills that they've learned overseas. And we can see now Japan is among the top five, uh, you know, uh, uh, global economies right now, like one of the richest countries in the world right now. Because, and that happened only over 60 years, you know, because they were able to capitalize on their human resources. And, and, and me as an economist, and I'm pretty big on human capital accumulation, because I do think, you know, people are uh, definitely the direct engine of growth for any economy. So if we invest in your people, eventually you will have a big um, ROI and that's definitely going to help the economy as a whole. So definitely Haiti right now, it's more, uh, we have more access to internet that we've had, you know, uh, 10 years ago and also other countries in Africa as well. I think eventually these countries will, will, will catch up, but in the beginning is going to be a slow, uh, progression towards that, that change. I think that's very powerful what you're saying. I, I do feel though that a lot of like, I think that's something that I had mentioned as well in another interview was like how when you when you build up the education system in a country or a developing country, what that does is just that funnels a brain drain. People leave. Um, and, and that is unfortunate. I've seen it happen in Haiti. And I guess also I feel like in terms of economic paradigm, the way that I feel like it's been structured, it's been very much how do we attract international international companies in Haiti? And, and I, I think the example that I always give is sort of the race to the bottom, where these companies are sort of looking for cheap labor and, and lax labor laws. And they're looking for that all across the planet. And wherever they can find that, they race towards that. But as soon as as soon as a government or a an activist or civil society starts to advocate beyond, starts to advocate beyond the dollar or three dollars payment that the companies sort of leave. Um, so I, I feel like it requires such a paradigm shift, like in terms of like really looking at how do we look at human capital, how do we look at humans and in their gifts, in their visions, in their opportunities to create new systems as opposed to being sort of cogs in a factory, for example.
I don't know. So I'm, maybe I'm clearly biased right now because I do feel like this sort of race to the bottom for me doesn't work. Um, it's just perpetuates a lot of disparities that I think that, I don't know, I want to hear your thoughts about it because I feel like there's a lot of people and it's, it is a controversial statement because I feel like a lot of people I have read somewhere that's like, yeah, those companies coming in into this, this developing countries providing these factory jobs for a dollar a day is great because they can go into, they can go in and work and actually make a livelihood and maybe their next generation won't have to work this factory or this farming field. And I think that's, and they sort of rationalize it in the context of like, it's better than nothing. Um, for me, I, I almost feel like I ascribe to sort of the idea of, I think his name is Ibrahim ZX. I think he's a African-American studies professor at American University. And he, he wrote the book, How to Be an Anti-Racist. And I think he, he said a quote is like, those who profess that change takes a generation or it takes 60 years are propagating systemic racism. And I feel like it's the same thing. I think we lack imagination, we lack um, risk-taking, but I know it's easy for me to, to criticize and say all of this stuff in terms of economic, because like you said, these things, this sort of change takes time. So I would love to hear mm -hmm. your thoughts in terms of like economic models of change and, and especially in this fourth industrial revolution, I feel like we need to sort of be the, we need to be sort of the big thinkers, but I would love to just to hear your thoughts or comments about what I said in terms of like the Macaderas, like for example, in the nineties um, in Haiti and then they all packed their bags after we tried to raise the, the income. I don't know. I, I would love to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah. I mean, definitely going to vary um, by countries, although uh, we might have the common theories that we might be able to adopt in, 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 in those countries, but the, the environment also created by governments uh, pretty much will play a big role into how fast the economy will grow and uh, what is the the what is exactly the um, engine of growth uh, being used to pretty much help that growth. I think um, two things that I I definitely emphasize on is the human capital accumulation, which is uh, an engine of growth that will um, over time help with um, you know with making better your, your economy and the, the second one was um, te technological advances that's another thing also and and the aspect of the coronavirus I think also that that that's that's an engine of growth that countries can use um, to position themselves in a way that to 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 get access to um, to investment and also, making sure that they bettering their their economy. So I think companies going um, abroad or in developing countries to establish factories and also giving just a dollar a day is pretty much uh, it's pretty much a system that's that's been around for for years now. But I know one way that um, government can also regulate that is making sure that they have that uh, that bare minimum that is required that is allowing um, people to to leave in their country. So that these these companies, when they come in, they can have certain uh, privileges, but also they will be required to also um, help advance the economy of the country. And, and the type of investment that they're making in these countries will also be something that's going to be sustainable and not just for uh, you know um, 
a year or two or five years, but more of uh, 30, 50 years, because uh, it, it, I feel like any system, economic system is also based on the political system. So uh, if, if the country is strong on, on their principles and uh, the country is strong on, on, on the political systems that they have in place in terms of um, in, in terms of uh, making sure that I, I will not say no corruption at all, but at least minimize the level of corruption. You know, so that's one thing that is very important as well to see. Like, are are the people in charge are thinking for the country and also allowing these investments coming in to better the country or these people are just taking about themselves in their pockets and just, you know, uh, taking the money away and not even spend that money that's being made in the country and the country, you know? So I, I think that goal, that goes hand to hand. We definitely need a strong political system to accompany whatever uh, economic system that the, the, the country would adopt uh, eventually. Well, I think that's, that's powerful. I really like what you said. Um, I had a two follow-up thing because I think you're spot on in terms of like the corruption and being able to sort of change the culture. I, I think that is important. I also wonder like what sort of technological advances that you feel could su support a new economy or, or liven up the dignity of people who work uh, or even optimize and upgrade the system? Like, is this something like blockchain in terms of like leveraging that to make election and voting more accessible? Or is it sort of artificial intelligence? Or is this like, what sort of technologies that you feel could be integrated in ways that, um, that can enable an economy? Because I feel like I'm maybe I'm lacking a vision or imagination because I feel Sometimes when we paint those advanced technologies, it's sort of it's sort of painted in the Western context, and I feel mm -hmm. like I always almost have a, such a hard time. Maybe something I need to work on, but I almost almost have a hard time looking at it underground. What does this look like? Because I know mobile banking is huge in 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 the African continent and also in Haiti. Because I remember everyone like does their transactions for their banking on their phones and their the things. So I'd love to just hear like, like, have you heard of or seen where like advanced technologies have been integrated and within the Haitian context uh, or in other countries? I mean, like, it, it, it's also tied to the um, source of, uh, it's also depend on the type of economy that, that the country has and what is exactly the source of revenue in that economy. Like, let's say, for example, um, we'll take Haiti. So something that could be great for the country in terms of technological advances would be, um, since our primary source of revenue could be seen as agriculture, right? Mm -hmm. So there, there could be um, optimization of how we do agriculture there, like cut down on time that we 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 take to to produce, and also and also cut down on time also that that or the type of um, the type of transactions that we we use with other countries to import or export so uh, optimizing that system could definitely help propel haiti towards a better future because each country has a different system that could be used in a way that technological advances could uh optimize that system and and in the case of haiti i think one thing that we could definitely focus on primarily is is the agricultural sector 
because that's our primary source of revenue. And I think if we maximize that and we've seen, you know, how things been done and how long it takes to to produce and uh, how we do, how we exchange with other countries. That's why um, our net import is greater than our net export because of, you know, even after we produce, we cannot really uh, sustain uh, yeah. the needs of our population. So which doesn't leave any, um, you know, which doesn't leave anything uh, to to export to, to to even like exchange with other country and generate money for the for the company and increase the GDP. So I think um, optimizing the agricultural sector in terms of fighting new equipments and new tools that would maximize the the process that's definitely could be something that and also we already have the skills because that's 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 what we use back home to to survive so optimizing that system will also help people gain new skills and also make make sure that the process is optimized absolutely and i feel like to add on to also what you're saying i think you're so spot on and i love the way you're sort of breaking this down and step by step um, I think that you're absolutely spot on. And and one thing I would also add on, if I may, is, is electrification. I think electrification is such a fundamental and pivotal backbone of like a thriving economy because I, there's a lot of places in Haiti that not only have never experienced electricity or even if those places, other um, all, for example, like other places like in Cao Cap or or Damali, all these other places. I feel like even in the capital, the electrical grid is not sustainable in terms of, because I remember when I lived in Haiti, or like it, you would only get electricity maybe for one hour a day, or even, or even like- <laughs> I remember these days. <laughs> what'd you say? I said, I remember these days. <laughs> yeah, and then everyone gets so excited when they give the, the light and you like, you go play your video games or you do this and that. But it's like, I, I do feel like when, if you have electrification in communities, that not only just kind of gives people, because I've, a trend that I've seen is that a lot, in, in a lot of con developing countries is that a lot of people in the rural areas travel to the capital city and they want a better life and they want a better job. Sort of like they're migrating because that's where the center of development has been. And when you have so many people that are coming into this, the capital city, that starts to put so much pressure on like the social systems that the government provides. And, and that in terms increases the poverty level or increases the violence and, and, and there's less access as well. And I feel like if there were to be a proper electrification in rural areas, this could not only allow, let's say businesses to like adapt and grow there, but also children being able to have a proper space to study at night or even like a police force where they can actually do their job in at night. I think yeah. it would, or even like people cooking food where they're like cutting less wood and and just yeah. in like in Chabon and, and trying to, because that, that in terms of creates a vicious cycle because it's like when you have like climactic weather patterns of like hurricanes, you cut the wood. So that means it's more arid land. And so now you have more floodings and then you have all the dirt from the mountains go all the way at the bottom. And then this is over and over and over. So I feel like electrification could be a process of that, but I almost feel yeah. like I don't even know where to even begin. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but but I do think that um, if we were to optimize our agricultural culture, 
that's definitely will be tied to um, electrification as well, because that, that definitely goes hands to hands to hands because you cannot have one without the other. And that's pretty much like killing, you know, uh, it's pretty much optimizing two sectors at once. Absolutely. I, I feel sometimes there's a perception that agriculture is not like sexy or agriculture is like sort of behind it, or it's at the mercy of other countries. But I do feel like agriculture is the way that a lot of developing countries are going to sort of stand up and like push up their chest into the future and really provide because it's like you got to feed a nation first of all and you and that is sort of at the center of that that's so true yeah definitely i i wonder like i wonder my second question i had is that you spoke about I don't know exactly what you said, but I would love to hear your, the role of the diaspora that I know that remittance is like a huge thing um, in terms of like the money that goes in in Haiti. But I would love to hear like, because you sort of talked about Japan and when they were rebuilding, they sent out all these folks where uh, they went all in their education and then came back with this skill sets. But I almost feel like maybe I'm maybe disconnected, but I almost feel like I don't see that as much in Haiti where the diaspora is coming back. But I actually do see that. I think there's a lot of people like they were doing the Futures Festival with the She Build program or or you have the Haiti Tech Summit. I think there's a lot of diaspora that are sort of reconnecting, but I would love to hear your sort of vision of like, what like what's the role of the diaspora of like the brain power that's spread out all across the planet uh, in the context of Haiti? What would you, and also even you can contextualize that by your role. What do you see your role as someone that's living right now in the US and working in Microsoft and sort of you see all these big shifts that are happening? Like what, 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 where do we go? <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, that, that's definitely a tough question. It's uh, <laughs> because <laughs> I don't even know how to begin because things are changing and uh, all we can do is pretty much going with the trend and making sure that we are up to date and uh, making sure we're moving towards um, innovation and also making sure that we're putting ourselves in a way to uh, just go with the trend and uh, not le not be left behind. Well, absolutely. Not be left behind. I think that is so interesting because I do feel like as we increase in technological advances i feel a lot of people have been left behind a lot of people yeah. behind. i think you see this in the u.s right now where a lot of and this is sort of shifting the conversation a little bit but it's like a lot of people that are like oh yeah racism doesn't exist and it's like and then and you have other people like the black lives matter movement that are saying like no like this has been 400 years like in the making the system hasn't changed it just has a different face um and i feel like both people, the people that see don't see racism have been sort of living in the in the future in terms of like the the way that the resources are allocated to them, the way that they perceive society and the privileges that's been passed down and sort of the prototype of whiteness and 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 in the people that are quote unquote living in communities that are poor um, faces the brunt of a violent system that doesn't provide them resources or dignity or their rights and i feel like you can elude this sort of division of of the future where the future is not necessarily like 
equally di distributed. You could see this on the global spectrum in terms of developing countries and in modern world, but you can also see this in the US. So I would love to hear like, like to even put it back at you, like how does one even stay ahead despite the inequities, despite all the challenges that have plagued our world? I mean, <clears throat> I think, I think that is something that we cannot really avoid, although that could be a difficult conversation that makes people really feel uncomfortable to have. That's why in most cases, people tend to, you know, to say, hey, that happened 400 years ago, that didn't happen to any living relatives, that didn't happen to you. Why are you still talking about it? Because I feel like people rather, uh, you know, forget that that happened and hope for a better future. I think I, I want to believe in, in mankind and humankind, and I want to believe that's how they, they, they think about it whenever they avoid the conversation. But we've seen recently with all the protests um, uh, throughout the US and also in the world, how people are, are standing up, our people are you know, putting themselves in an uncomfortable situation so they could have these conversations. Because I think that's, a very, that, that, that's the very first step to have the conversations and making sure that we are talking uh, what people had to face uh, you know, over time and, and their ancestors and things, because that's how we're going to understand you know, what was done was wrong. And that's how we're going to know, okay, we are, we shouldn't repeat the same mistake. And we should make sure that moving forward, we create a more just society and also give place to everybody to express their voices and also create that, you know, that, that equity that we, we seek for. Uh, I think post, um, George Floyd protest, uh, I've seen great progress, although there's still a lot of uh, there's still a lot of a lot of things to change, but uh, I I really like the fact that now people are being uncomfortable to have the conversation. I, I think that's 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 the very first step, and that's needed. And by having these conversations, we're going to understand. Even this morning, um, I had a meeting at work where Microsoft is creating that space, that safe space to allow. Um, employees to express their voices and also making sure that we understand uh, somebody else's background and, and making sure to, to know what is sensitive to them and just pretty much listen to their stories and listen to, to who they are and understand their path better and how we could be a good ally and help you know change the situation and change the future. I think the first step is having the conversation. And again, it's not something that's going to happen overnight because it's been around for 500 years. So the conversation just one day will not change everything, but at least that will show that there is the will, you know, to change things. And people, people are making, people are taking the steps, the necessary steps to make that happen. Absolutely. I love what you said about creating a just society. I feel like maybe I might be wrong, but I feel like what's happening in the US has deep implications for the entire world. Because I, I feel like the US is sort of the tapestry of the entire planet. It has almost every breeds of people from like places in Africa to Latin America to Europe to Asia. It literally is a sort of, it's a cacophony of cultures. And I feel like that is something so integral to the future so if justice or if a more just society is created in the US, a more just and a more sustainable society is created in the US, I think it'll have just 
extreme like ripples across the world in terms of enabling more of a just world. Um, but we have a long way, like you said, <laughs> the battle has been, yeah. well, I don't even frame it as a battle, but maybe it is a battle. But I, I think sometimes I feel like these systems just kind of puts it into, puts us into a battle and we fight each other perpetually and we never sort of get out of that cycle of violence. So yeah, this is, Steven, this has been like so awesome talking to you and connecting and in hearing your perspective. Like I, I would love to hear like, this, I always ask the, the viewers or the guests, this question is like, what is one important idea? If you were in front of a million people, what is one idea that you would tell them that is important to pay attention to or to do um, that's gonna impact the next 20, 30 years of our lives? It could be something we talked about on the show or, or maybe something completely new. I mean, I think the one thing that I would say was, would be pretty much be kind to one another because that's free. You, you know, that's, it's free to be kind to somebody, to be nice to someone. You don't have to pay for that, you know? So if you, if you're kind to somebody, that person will definitely create more kindness around them. And as you said earlier, that's going to have a effect and that's going to impact the world as a whole and create a more loving society and where people will feel more comfortable to be themselves and where people will be able as well to accept other people's differences just be kind, that's free. You know, that's, that will be, without even thinking about big terms, big uh, words in economics or politics or things like that, just on a human level, just be kind to one another. Absolutely, I love that. I think that's powerful. And, and I know, and I know I, this might put a, a, another complexity over this. I feel like it's, it's, it's been, it's taken me, a decade to really even learn how to be kind to myself. Um, and, and I think that one can, one can, one, someone has to be like, you have to be kind to yourself in order to be kind to other people. And we live in a exactly. society, especially like a, a society founded on colonialism and, and a lot of legacies, a lot of global things. I feel like it doesn't necessarily teach you to have this sort of like very genuine connection with self and dignity and understanding who you are and your gifts. It doesn't teach you that. So I, I feel like a lot of people are never kind to even themselves. So they can't give that kindness to other people. Um, yeah, that's maybe true. Call action, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, uh, you know, the, the journey of discovering yourself is, uh, it's not an easy, it's not an easy road. And some people would spend you know, their lifetime trying to figure out themselves. But if if you were to find out just a little bit about that, I would say definitely share it with the world and be kind to yourself and be kind to one another because we definitely need that mostly in 2020 and what we've seen with all the protests around the world and how people are demanding social justice and more equity in the world and things like that. So I think, the, the, the first step will be to be kind to yourself, as you said, but also be kind to somebody else. Because when you're kind to somebody else, that means you are willing to listen to their stories and also understanding where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And not only to listen and understand, but also take actions to change their, their path and make it better for them in a more just way. 
So that's what I mean by be kind to one another because you're pretty much opening the door for, for one action to have a ripple effect on the entire world. Mm, I love that. I, I'm, a, I'm a strong believer in everything you said. Um, yeah, where, where can the viewers reach you? Is that you, are you on Twitter or you're on LinkedIn or where if they wanted to reach yeah, out? I'm pretty much all over the place. So on, on Facebook is my name, Stevens Bonum, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, Bonum, B-O-N-H-O-M-M-E. On Instagram, if you were to type my name as well, you'll find me, but the handle is B-S-Golden2. Again, it's B-S-Golden2. On LinkedIn is Dr. Stevens Bonum. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I think I gave Facebook, I gave Instagram, and I gave LinkedIn. Yeah, these are pretty much the social media platforms that I'm currently using right now, yeah. Superb, man. I, I appreciate you coming on this show. And again, I'm proud of everything you've accomplished. And, and I can't wait to see where, where we're all headed in the future. Me too. I'm excited for that. And I'm, I, I really appreciate the fact that you reached out to me and you wanted to connect today. And we had that time to check and, and to chat a little bit about, you know, our journey, the future and all the great things that we can achieve together. Absolutely. Cheers. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Fabrice Garius show. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this dynamic conversation with Dr. Stephen Bonham and really looking at the future and different ways of thinking. I have a lot of really exciting episodes that are coming up ahead. Please stay tuned, stay excited, and I hope you're moved into action pursue what you feel most fulfilled about in terms of the change that you want to accomplish. If you like what you heard, please leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, support me on Patreon, or share with friends and family and colleagues. 